get it, Monday, July 6th, 2020, Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a great week outside of podcast land. Fourth of July has come and gone, and I hope you got to spend it with your loved ones. Couple ratings, no new reviews this week. Womp womp. You know, ratings are great, but please uh, shoot us a review. Let us and others know what you like and maybe what you don't like about this podcast. The more subs and reviews that we do get, the more this podcast moves up in the podcast algorithms and, and more veterans will get a chance to listen to the content in the episodes. However, we did get a couple comments recently on the episode 200 blog on blogs.va.gov. First comment was from Shariah Carter. She said, great story on Air Force veteran and AEW wrestler Ariel Johnson. I truly appreciate hearing and reading her story. She is an inspiration. No matter what, mental fortitude and belief in oneself overcomes challenges. I did not know she was a vet. You go, girl. Obviously, Shariah is a fan of wrestling and watched Big Swole before. Glad that we were able to let you know that Ariel is also a veteran, so you can cheer for her all that harder. Second one was from Rick Baldwin, who simply said, wow, I'll be looking for you on the mat. You better watch out, Swole. Okay, let's take a look at news releases. We got four this week. First one says, for immediate release, VA supports 988 expansion for National Suicide Prevention Crisis Line and Veteran Crisis Line Access. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs announced recently their support for the Suicide Prevention 988 Expansion Initiative which is a new national three-digit emergency telephone number to access crisis call centers across the country for suicide prevention and mental health services, including the Veterans Crisis Line. This will be done by July of 2022. VA is working alongside the Federal Communications Commission, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, and the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline to implement and activate the 988 expansion. Once activated, the 988 expansion will also grant VA the opportunity to collaborate with the suicide prevention communities across the United States. This initiative is aligned with the President's Roadmap to Empower Veterans and End a National Tragedy of Suicide, otherwise known as PREVENTS, program. A a nationwide plan to raise awareness about mental health, connect veterans and others at risk of suicide to federal and local resources. And as always, if you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, contact the Veterans Crisis Line to receive free confidential support and crisis intervention available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You can call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Or you can text 838-255 or chat online at veteranscrisisline.com dot net forward slash chat okay and the second news release that we have says for immediate release va receives funding from the u.s postal service for ptsd research the u.s department of veterans affairs announced recently during national post-traumatic stress awareness month that the va's national center for ptsd will fund more research about ptsd it's a great sentence This is thanks to the proceeds from the Healing PTSD Semi-Postal Stamp, which was issued in December of 2019 by the U.S. Postal Service. 
More than 7 million stamps were sold from December 2019 to May, garnering upwards of $717,000, which have been dispersed to VA. VA offers personalized effective treatments for PTSD, and during PTSD Awareness Month and all year round, VA encourages veterans to find out more about PTSD and treatment. For more information about PTSD, visit www.ptsd.va.gov. Okay, number three says, for immediate release, VA rolls out simplified travel reimbursement system for veterans and beneficiaries. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs is rolling out a new system in July, which is this month, for veterans and eligible beneficiaries to submit and track transportation reimbursement claims using VA's secure web-based portal, Access VA. The new Beneficiary Travel Self-Service System, which is accessible 24-7, 365 days a year, will simplify how eligible veterans and beneficiaries claim mileage reimbursement for travel to and from both VA healthcare or VA-authorized non-VA healthcare service locations. BTSSS, that's a heck of an acronym, enables veterans and caregivers to submit claims for reimbursement of costs from a personally owned vehicle, common carrier, meals, and or lodging, and other travel-related expenses such as tolls, parking, and luggage. The national implementation across VA's integrated service networks, otherwise known as VISNs, will run in phases through November. As BTSSS goes live, the use of kiosks will be discontinued. However, in-person claims and hard copy submissions are still available. For more information on BTSSS and eligibility, visit the VA Travel Pay Reimbursement webpage, which is www.va.gov forward slash health hyphen care forward slash get hyphen reimbursed hyphen for hyphen travel hyphen pay. All right. And finally, we have for immediate release, VA launches COVID-19 screening tool. Now check this out. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs announced recently the launching of a digital COVID-19 screening tool to streamline veteran access to medical care during the coronavirus pandemic. The tool, designed with veteran and staff input, enables the screen of more than 10,000 people each day. Veterans, their caregivers, and VA healthcare employees can use this tool on their mobile phones before entering facilities. It takes less than a minute to complete and helps reduce wait times, lowers exposure, and eases patient stress. It is also designed to help veterans gain confidence with increased digital interactions as part of the VA's healthcare experience. To protect patients and staff, VA screens everyone for coronavirus symptoms and exposure each time they enter a health facility. VA uses the information received to direct people to either enter the building or go to a designated area for additional screening. Veterans, caregivers, and staff can use the tool by texting the word SCREEN to 53079 or scan a dedicated QR code with their mobile device to get a link to the tool. They then answer a series of simple questions and share the results at the VA facility entrance. For more information about VA efforts to meet veteran and staff needs during the coronavirus pandemic, visit www.va.gov forward slash corona hyphen veteran hyphen frequently hyphen 
asked hyphen questions. And you can visit www.publichealth.va.gov forward slash N as in November hyphen coronavirus. All right. So our next guest, you know, Father's Day was just a couple of weeks ago. And this would have been the perfect episode for Father's Day. But the way the episodes fell, it didn't really play out that way. But I'm still happy that we were able to have him on the show. He is a Marine Corps veteran and hosts the Military Dad Podcast, whose noble mission is to bring every dad home, both physically and mentally, to their marriage and to their family. There, they share stories from other military veteran dads on their struggles, their wins, and the wisdom. So without further ado, I bring to you, Marine veteran, Ben Kiloy. Enjoy. It's been, it's been forever. Uh, how you doing? Never been better. Life has been continuing to change and evolving and it's, a. Uh... It's kind of been a little bit of a roller coaster since January 27th when I had my position at work eliminated, but I can say like through COVID and everything, like I feel like a lucky man almost because I've had more freedom to deal with more things, family and focus on what really matters and grow in really big ways. Got you. Um, podcasting, it's its a very small percentage of podcasters in the entire ecosystem have podcasting as their full-time gig. And I think you can agree with that if... If you're getting into podcasting on your own with, you know, no network or corporation or business behind you, and you, and if you're trying to get into it for the money and not for the passion of, of what you're trying to do, um, you're not going to have a good time. No. And it was interesting because in many ways, the podcast helped save my life because I had something to look forward to. Really? Yeah. Because I mean, I had it for over a year at that point. And like, I could have just like, you know what? I, my entire world just dried up because it was very unexpected. I didn't have any idea it was coming. And without the podcast, kind of like I have something to look forward to every week still. I don't know where I would be right now because it's it's kept me going. It's kept my ideas. It's taught me how to survive like instinctively right after it happened. Because I'm a podcast and I've been talking to so many people, I just started talking to as many people as I could fit in my calendar every day. And that really helped me get outside of my head and in my feelings and just get clear on what I could do and the options that were in front of me. and just make sure that I could be outside of my head and not listening to those thoughts in my head, which I think a lot of men get stuck into when we lose our jobs. We just retreat into our head where really no good conversation is going on after a man loses his job. Uh, yeah, I, I can, I can see where, where a person could do that. Um, are you okay now? Uh, financially, mentally, Mentally, I'm perfectly fine. I would say financially, we we have we're we're doing okay. I, I'm on unemployment before it was cool, so that kind of helped with COVID. I was already I didn't have to fight any of the lines, um, <laughs> and we've got we got a little bit of a uh, emergency fund that we're riding on right now. But um, I'm really working toward taking what I've gotten with the podcast and becoming a professional speaker. That's really my primary target, and I've got enough runway that I believe I can get it done, even with the COVID headwinds. So that's your career path. What did you do before? I didn't, we never did talk about what it and marketing. Okay. Are you going back into that? Uh, is, is there a pathway to go back into that as a fallback? I mean, there is, but, um, and I kind of flirted with it in April and the anxiety of having to go back almost killed me. Um, luckily I didn't get offered the job, so I didn't have to decide, 
But just the interview process was like, I was like, I can do this. This is no problem. I'm just flirting with this or flirting with this opportunity. But then it almost like hit me really hard. I was like, I do not want to get a job and I don't want a separate path either. Like that's something else I realized, like it took a lot of mental bandwidth to maintain two panel or two paths in my life. And sure. I'm more convinced than ever I'm going to be a stay-at-home dad and I'm going to do it in a way that provides some financial stability for the family as well. And, and I'm on an objective to never get a job again. <laughs> okay. I'm doing some part-time stuff like as a vendor or as a contractor Yeah, uh, for like podcasting or pa- podcast editing and stuff like that. So I'm doing different things to earn money that maybe is like a job, but my criteria is I only want to some type of work that's on the road that I'm on today. I don't necessarily want to get a job going back to who I was because I never want to go back. Sure. Something that fits, some, something that fits your passion. Yeah. If, if it helps me grow on the path that I'm on, I'll do it. And I, it doesn't matter whether it's a decent job or a, a, a rosy job. If it pays, it'd be fine. Um, yeah. But I want to be on the path that I'm on. Uh, I definitely like the, I like the focus, man. I like the focus. That was a, uh, Absolutely. So it, it took a while, but I'm glad we were able to finally reconnect uh, since we, I mean, what, what, it's been what, since September, since the Military Influencer Conference? Was that September? September, yep. Mm-hmm. yep. How is Janesville, Wisconsin today? The city hasn't been normal with COVID. Everything's been like everything else. But as far as like our community, it's been as good as I can imagine. Everybody's outside and biking and conversations and with family and kids and and I get to be dad more often now. So like it's as good as my life's ever been. Every time someone asks me how I'm doing, I always say I've never been better because every day I get to wake up in a version of myself I've never been before. That's a that's a good place to be in, man. That is really a good place to be in. I thought about speaking with you right before Father's Day and it would be I thought it would be a great time to put bring you on since since of some of the things that you talk about. Um, and it is before Father's Day right now. But, you know, with recent events and the way that the schedule is unfolding, I don't know if that's going to be possible to have a Father's Day episode. So I'm apologizing ahead of okay. time. Um, but I'm, I think it's important to still bring you on as quickly as possible because I think you have a really great subject. But um, before we get into all that, when and where did you decide to join the Marine Corps or decide to join the military? My story for joining the military was it started the summer of 2002. I wanted computers and I thought the Air Force was the easiest path to get an education in computers. I was getting ready to go into the Air Force. A recruiter came out and the day that changed my life was that there was a church picnic in our for our community and the Marine recruiter had a bouncy house and that my mom wanted to make sure I was exploring all my options. So she went over and talked to him first because I had already crossed the Marine Corps off because I thought there were just a bunch of people that shot stuff up. And I was like, I don't want that. And then uh, my mom brings me over and because she's talking to him. And the next thing you know, I find out they have everything else. And I talk to him the next week at school. And two weeks later, I'm raising my right hand for the Marine Corps. And I would have been voted least likely to join the Marine Corps. I, was, I couldn't run. I couldn't do a pull up. And for me, it was kind of like my dare to be great moment that this is kind of like the chance for you to do really hard stuff in your life that you don't. I've never really done that in my life. And I grew up on a farm, so I knew what hard work was, but I never really like really tapped in to really pull out who I was on the inside. Sure. And that was my opportunity to really go all in. And it was an uphill battle for boot camp was tough on me. I didn't feel like I had a lot of mental resilience, but that entire process is kind of still unpacking itself in my life today of what the Marine Corps kind of planted seeds inside me 
that I'm still learning today what was planted and trying to add water to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, uh, man, I think your, your story is a lot similar to mine in that respect. And I like the way you put it. And we started two weeks apart at boot camp. That's the craziest part of our I totally forgot about that. We talked about that. Like we talked about on the day we put the old, on the old footprints. Um, you were uh, what company? Uh, uh, was it Alpha? I was Hotel Company. Hotel, yeah. You were, I mean, we were right there. Uh, we were always seeing Hotel, hotel 2019. Mm-hmm. But I was put to in 2018. Yeah. And we were, I remember always seeing Hotel Company. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, while you were in, what did you do? What was your MOS? My MOS was generator mechanics. So I ended up not getting computers and I had a love of electricity, but in high school, like I liked electronics courses and stuff. So it kind of worked out that I was in a generator uh, career, but, and that career kind of took me out of the Marine Corps and fast forward 15 years, I was doing something related to generators the entire time. But I got, I did the career for generators. We got stationed at Courthouse Bay, North Carolina for where the school is. I got stationed in Okinawa for three years where I was uh, my first duty station. And then I did my four years and got out, but I got to see so much of the world over in Okinawa and Korea and the Philippines. And I love where my, my life as a generator mechanic took me because that your, your ability to be behind, be behind the scenes of those 10 cities and connect them up. That is something that uh, not a lot of people get a connection to. Sometimes you're off in the sitting in the tent and you don't get a lot of connection to the whole thing going on. But I love being part of the engineer platoon and, helping everything stay running. Oh man. And, and Marines love when they have uh, just a little bit of amenities in a, in a campsite, they will do anything right. Yeah. <laughs> for power, for power. And for engineers, you can build what you needed to need too, as well. Like you could make your amenities a little bit better than everybody else's because you were the one that owned all the assets. <laughs> and it's easy to make friends in the campsite and the, in the, in the, in the bivouacs when, when, uh, when you have all the assets. It's like the motor T as well, because motor T were always the ones going to the, the day trips with the, the vans to like Osan and different bases where they can pick you stuff up at the PX and get you beef jerky and stuff like that. So it's a lot like that where you always want to have a good motor T guy in your corner because they can help you get stuff that nobody else can. You always need a good motor T, good engineer, good supply. And you know, that was my first, my first time West was admin. You always need a really good admin Marine that can push your stuff through. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, while you were in either give me a best friend or, or your greatest mentor. I would say my greatest mentor was at the time when I first met him was staff sergeant Libby. And he was also the generator mechanic and he was kind of at the higher side of our engineering company. And in school, they tell you like, don't worry about going to the fleet. There'll always be one generator mechanic that you can learn from. You'll never be by yourself. Well, the place I went to hadn't had a, a generator mechanic in like three months. And st- gunnery sar- our staff sergeant, Libby Gunnery Sergeant, when I by the time I left, he, uh, he was the only other generator mechanic that was there. So he wasn't always out there to help you understand in different things. And the electricians were running most of the generators. So they were just kind of trying to survive. And it was kind of a... Uh, it's kind of a hot mess or a soup mess of trying to identify what you need to do, troubleshoot. And because when you first get out of school, you think you know everything and you quickly realize you don't know anything. <laughs> and right when I got to Okinawa, we had this uh, a deployment on Camp Courtney on the island where we were doing a generator setup and just diving in. You're just getting used to Okinawa where you're sweating like crazy. Yeah, and You're trying to troubleshoot at the same time in the hot sun. He really was kind of like a father figure over there. He always made sure we had Christmas meals together, Thanksgiving meals. He was always kind of like a big brother, too. He would never be afraid to have fun on a deployment. And he was kind of just that rock that you needed 
in a unit to kind of make you feel part of and kind of remind you like outside of all the work the marine corps does being a marine is still a very cool thing and a very good thing to feel that connection to other marines and he just kind of reminded me that he was that rock that helped me get through a lot of my personal growth struggles that i had in the military and he was always there for me sounds like a really good mentor what's what's if you were to pick out one thing that he taught you what would it be I think that one thing that he always taught me was the quality of your work. He really taught me that if you put your name on something, it needs to matter. And if your name's on it, that needs to stand for something. So everything from how you run your wire, how everything is organized, because when someone walks by and looks at your site, they're going to see the entire company as the image of whatever that work was done. Mm -hmm. But from within inside the company, when people walk by, they're going to be like, that was done by Ben Cloy. And you want that to mean something. You want that to say something. And I've taken that to so many places in my life, like even corporations and business when I was doing it, everything you do, you're putting your name on it. And that name means something. And it comes down to like the integrity that if you if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Because that's just how you want to live inside the bar for where you need your life to be. Absolutely. That's, hey, that's a good lesson. You did four years. Um, why did you decide to get out? It's an interesting question because for me, I only had two things in the back of my head. One, I was never good at shooting. I was always a marksman. I never really got good at uh, the PFT. So running was always a challenge. Pull-ups was always a challenge. And so those two things were often things that helped to get promoted. And so I had this idea that it was, the Marine Corps is going to hold me back. And that the Marine Corps is going to hold me back. And like I was meant for something bigger. I had zero idea. No idea. Not even a fart of what that was. <laughs> I just knew that I was meant for bigger things. And the Marine Corps is going to kind of put a lid on that because of how far I could grow. And I just got out with that simple belief. And I was like, I need to figure out what that was. I got out, but then there's probably a 10, 12 year gap between really when I got out and when I started tapping into and really figuring out what that was. I think it's a really good thing when veterans realize that their their chapter in the military is over. Whether you do four years, whether you do 30 years, I think everyone comes to this feeling of, okay, it's, it's not, it's time to move on, you know? And I think it's important to recognize that feeling, um, to move on. And it's, it's, it's good that you did. Um, not everybody has that same experience, that same epiphany or they reject it, you know? And we treat a lot like, um, I always like to joke that, uh, treating things like the mathematical constant of pi that's always 3.14. Your military service, often there's a lot of people out there that treat it like pi, that it's always a constant in your life, and that you can just continually to invest all your time and energy, and all that time and energy will never go away. But it is not a constant. There is a finite ending to that date when it's all just going to go away, and whatever energy you invested, they're going to learn to live with, without you. Oh, sure. And it's that switch that really gets us messed up because we invested all that time with our the military but then we didn't invest that time with our family and that time with our family is really really where we needed to invest because that commitment goes to the end of our life and we get those backwards that's something that um i've really realized on the other side is that the same thing with a workaholic dad that just puts all of his time and energy into his career that can get pulled away in an instant. And you can feel like there's no way they can live without me. There's no way they let me go. And then just like that, it happened. And you're like, wow. Same thing happens in the military. You have to be realized that it is a finite amount of time. 
and how you use it and how you invest and how you plan for the next season of your life, it matters. And a lot of people do not do that, which is why they either are too scared to get out or they get out and they just collapse because they have no basic infrastructure in their mind of how to coexist without this constant that they thought was there. I think there's a lot of reasons that that veterans uh, sometimes aren't able to cross that, that bridge. Um, There's, there's a lot, there's a lot of things. It could be PTSD. It could be exactly what you're talking about. I think there's a a lot of things um, not realizing that there is another chapter. I always told, I always told Marines, you know, it's, of course the, the military will always be a part of you. Your military experience will always be a part of you, but don't let it define you. You know, don't let it be that, that thing that holds you back in the future. Let it be something that shapes your future, not holds you back, you know? So you, you speak to something there about like the identity. And I talk about it a lot with military dads that a lot of people don't, they join the military to adopt an identity, especially the Marine Corps. I mean, we have the, like, I think our identity is ingrained into us in more than the other branches where if many people join because it is very exciting to, to be a Marine to them because they've never felt like their life mattered before that. Mm. And they joined to be something and they get that uniform, they get that title, but then they actually have no idea who they are underneath that green camouflage. Mm-hmm. And either it can get removed from you from maybe a medical discharge or it's just your time to get out. It's going to come off and it's going to feel like something was ripped away from you. And it's, you really have to, the best transition advice I give for people is don't focus on the transition out of the military as your first transition. You really need to go back and acknowledge that when you came into the military, that was your first transition. You will never be the same after that, that service to your country, but you were someone on the beginning. You had goals, objectives. Exactly. How did you want to grow through this experience and go back and do an audit there? And then compare where you are today, because then you can feel like, you know what? I didn't do this goal. I didn't do this goal. I didn't achieve this yet. So I need to realign and start taking action on those or figure that out. But don't start with the second transition. Go back and start with the first, because even just to be aware, I did not have an identity and I assumed the identity of the military. And when I take it off, I'm going to need to find one and I'm going to need to find it within myself, because otherwise I will come to that conclusion that. My life has no meaning. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's extremely important what you said there is that you were somebody before you joined the military and you're going to be somebody after you join the military and you don't forget who you were before that as well. So no, absolutely. Absolutely. What year did you decide to, what year did you get out? Was it 06? I got out in 2007. And 07. What was it like getting there out, out around that time? It was, uh, what's it like? I mean, did, was there as much support as there is now when it comes to nonprofits or, or veteran support agencies or anything like that? What was it like? I mean, 2007 was right around the surge, if I remember right, right? Yeah. I would say from my perspective, I would say it was fairly normal. I didn't like, I feel like I had this as straight of a line exit as I could have. I, did my TAPS course in Okinawa, did the five days. They teach you to get a suit, to have an interview. I followed that program to a T because I was kind of always a rule follower my entire life. So they give you a bunch of rules to follow when you get out. So that seemed like it was a straightforward thing. Flew from Okinawa to Camp Pendleton where you wait your days getting uh, going through the separation process. The only probably the additional advice I got was the moment you get out, get to the VA, get your basic uh, baseline medical evaluated so that there's some evaluation on the other side of your military that's documented in the VA system. I did that process like two or three months getting out. And lucky for me, I got a job about two weeks after I got out with a generator manufacturer in the area. And then I just kind of kept going. But I, 
never found i wasn't saying there was a lot of support i didn't even really realize there was probably the opportunity to for, for support because i was just running in that core taps programming of this is how you survive and that's what i did and so therefore i almost because of the closed process within that maybe i didn't maybe realize at the time this probably made me a first recognition of it that i had blinders on that because they tell you this is the process and it's a very black and white process. And if you treat it that way and follow it, you will create positive results. You don't realize that there's so many different flavors of that that are out there that are different nonprofits, different ways you can live life. Like for me, the one thing that TAPS almost should do exclusively on a full day is they should teach you how to exclusively talk to strangers. Because mm. what I've realized almost 15 years outside of the military my ability to talk to people was the one thing holding me back. And I realized now having a podcast that the amount of people you talk to daily that are strangers is directly proportional to the amount of opportunity that you feel like you have in your life. And I wish the taps would have taken me to like a sales conference, some type of an event where I had to go in there and get rejected 10 times or 20 times or a hundred times and just keep going and getting used to that feeling of rejection, but then putting yourself out there to say hello because what I've realized now, like on the other side of hello is the one thing you've always waited for your life. But the process of applying for jobs, going through that process, that doesn't, it, that is, there's no hello in there. You're going through a process that's black and white. They don't understand who you are. And everybody always tell you the best job opportunities come from your network. But when I was going through TAPS, there was really nothing built upon how do you build a network? How do you get used to talking to strangers on a regular basis, talking about what your goals are, talking about what your dreams are? Because what you don't realize is there's so many different w ways people live their lives every day that how they make their money. And you don't have any access to that unless you say hello. And so for me, like the one thing that I love about Bunker Labs, for example, is they help veterans create opportunity. And opportunity to me is the one thing that can transform a veteran's life because that's what we usually don't feel like we have on the other side of transition. And talking to people is the best way to create a life of abundant opportunity because you have multiple ideas and multiple things coming at you of what you possibly could do and take action on. Yeah. A lot to unpack there. I think, uh, I think you're onto something there about having to learn how to talk to strangers and getting, and getting that confidence. Uh, it's really good. Um, I want to, I want to move on to the, the thing you're really passionate about, man. Um, the subject that you're really passionate about is being a, a, a dad. And if you're passionate about a subject, it's a great reason to podcast because for me, when you're podcasting about something that you're passionate about, it's one of the best times to be had. Now you have the podcast, the military veteran dad podcast. It's the title's pretty self-explanatory, but give me the journey. How did you find yourself to podcast about this subject? So for me, I, when I turned 30, I had this like pit inside that I was going to die alone, that I was going to reach the end of my life and there was going to be nobody there to say nice things. And I had one daughter at the time and I was just kind of looking at her. It's pretty dark, man. It, yeah, it, it was a dark time. It was a hard midlife crisis for me to go through. And I was like, I don't have any real friends. I don't have anybody to share what I'm feeling. And I just felt so alone in that. And my journey to become a better father moved on the internet. I found some different masterminds to be a part of that where you learn there's an entire different bar in life where fatherhood can be set at. And the default one that we have in our society is nowhere close to really where the impact of fatherhood can happen. So my journey to podcasting was really my own journey to be the best dad that I could be. And as I go through that process and 
grew, I was like, I really like doing this. And then I also realized like through that process, and this is what you don't realize when you don't have a network or people in your life, or you're not talking to people, people, when you're talking to them, they reflect back the best value that you are. They become the mirror of your gold and they can really find the shiny things that makes what makes you really special. And through that process of growing with other dads, they would always reflect back the best parts of me. And they would always say different things like, oh, your way with words is really great. Or the way you put something is really great. Or that really gave me a feeling that I didn't even know I had. And so through that entire process, I was kind of like, I think there's something here. And so I wanted to start a side hustle to try to build something on the side in 2016. I didn't know, have the, the dad thing in mind. I was really just starting a blog and just learning to write and connect and get used to being a person on the internet. And that really transformed in 2018 at Military Infantry Conference because at Military Infantry Conference, I went in, I had the basic idea, you know what, I'm going to pick a veteran dad podcast. That was as loose as it was. It was an uncohesive thought. It wasn't even like, it was, that was it. And I was talking to a military spouse about my journey, about coming home and being a better dad. And at this point, she starts crying. And I'm like, whoa, I, I just told my story and this military spouse started crying. And essentially her dad or her father or the, the kid's dad came home or her husband came home physically, but did not come home mentally. Mm. And what I was saying triggered the very strong emotion in her. And I realized like, I've got to do this. If my voice can do that, my story can have resonate in a way that can help them feel that uh, feeling. I need to do this. So that was September of 2018. Next three months were spent launching the podcast and in December or January 1st of 2019, I launched the Military Veteran Dad podcast with a simple mission to help dads come emotionally and mentally back home to their families. Because what we don't realize as military dads is those feelings that really get us upset and trigger and maybe bring rage or maybe bring fear into our life. Those create a firewall between the emotional ability for you to connect and feel what your family needs you to feel with them and what you need to feel on the inside. And you ultimately just keep pushing yourself back from your family because what, what your family, like your kids are untethered ball of emotions. And if you don't have control of your emotions, they're going to trigger your emotions and you're just going to get very fearful of that. And essentially what I've learned through the podcast is we come to two conclusions. One, our family is better without us and that us being there is a burden because we just create so much turmoil and we end, end our life because we think we're doing our family a favor, but really we're just passing the pain on in a way that they'll ever understand it. Or your whole family explodes because your wife maybe takes the kids away from you because she wants them to be safe and she doesn't feel safe around you and you lose access to your kids. And then you spend the next 10 years regretting that you weren't part of your kid's life and you wish you could go back and change that. So for me, my podcast is about helping dads reconnect with their emotions, understanding them, how to rise up to that bar of being a better dad. Yeah, you, you just talked about two very um, real, but two very depressing um, outcomes uh, for for transitioning or military veterans or active duty military. Uh, where where's the hope? What have you found in in? Uh, is there like a successful story that you, or or uh, successful tenants uh, of of successful military and veteran fathers figures that uh that if someone's going down those paths that they can look to. So the, I call them kind of the four truths. The four truths are what I had to go through in my life. And it's also what I've learned as I interview dads that we need to recognize that one, we have to recognize we need people in our life to, to move life forward. Those it is so 
important for that to happen, that we can't do life alone. And we had it in the military, but we actually didn't realize how important of it was. And even when we're in the military, we often don't really talk about the family at work. It's all about the other things at work. It's not about what you had a struggle at home at work. You don't feel like you have that common bond. You need people in your life that you can share that load with. Mm. And the second one is we need to be able to recognize that our ego, that we have it all together, is going to be the one thing that prevents us from asking for help. And But that one thing is going to be the thing that allows you to feel for the first time what you need to feel, or also not necessarily push people away, but actually bring people close. There's kind of a crutch to vulnerability that we think as veterans that if we share our raw story, we're going to explode almost. A lot of veterans feel like if they share what's really on their heart and what they're really most scared of, a lot of veterans after doing it, they almost they puke after because of how much anxiety was tied to it. But you realize when you share your story, you don't push people away. You actually bring them closer. But your ego is going to tell you that you don't have to do that and you need to project that you have it all together and that ego needs to get turned off. So if you recognize that I need more people in my life, I have a an ego that's going to prevent me from asking for help. And then number three some is you uh, need I, a community. To- some veterans. There's there's some veterans that, that feel this way. Now, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't classify everyone like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um and the, the number three is the community, that the community is something that for millennia, we did life in tribes as men, and that we need to recognize that our community is something we need to be able to, to, to grow with, and that there's always someone ahead of us and always someone behind us. And that was something that I needed in my life, and it helped me come home as well. And the final one is something that connects with your marriage, that oftentimes we don't prioritize our life in a way that... Our marriage is our primary commitment. And if we think about every commitment we make in life, the marriage is the one that goes to the end of our life. Mm. But our priorities don't reflect that. And we often put many things ahead of that idea. Or you think that prioritizing something else is going to help you with that end state when it actually isn't. Correct. It's it's just almost like uh, the dad that convincing themselves to stay at work late every night. Like They think they're providing for the family and they think that this is what they need to do. There is, there is hope in that, that you can recognize that work is, is purposeful. And you need to do it to provide. But the foundation that's going to take you to the end of your life, that's going to sustain every other commitment you make in your life is your marriage. And it needs to be treated as such because if you get it out of whack or and military service is almost kind of a crutch because you can easily overwork in the military and very few people are going to call you out on it because they think you're, you're doing what you need to do to protect the country. Yeah. But a lot of times people could be doing that just to hide from what they need to what they're maybe they're afraid to go home. You mentioned a success story. There's I have actual iTunes reviews where a military spouse introduced their husband to the podcast and his and the husband finally started to seek out help, reached out to the VA and started to process what he wasn't feeling. That's the that's the right reason to podcast right there. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. And when those success stories happen, you start changing family trees in a way that you never even know about anymore. Every conversation could be that one where it's an insight that that one person needed. Like I always tell every person I interview, our objective is just to share one vulnerable thought. Because if we can cancel out a thought that someone's having in their head, that they believe they're the only ones having this thought and prove their brain wrong, we give them the possibility to start questioning other things in their life. 
And that questioning is what allows them to say like, you know, you've been telling me my, and then they think of this in your brain, you've been telling me I'm the only one feeling this way, that I'm the only one isolated and hurting. But this guy I just heard on the podcast feels the same way. I wonder what else I'm wrong about. And that's really where someone takes those first steps to come home because like it's emotionally, it's, it's a hard journey, but it begins with just the active listening of, I need help. Like, and even the conversations, like when you reach out to someone and you start having friends, just even that, when you start having a connection with other men, you feel a little bit stronger because you hear what everybody else is going through and you share the load. Like there's a joke I use from the Marine Corps that the Marine Corps, if you needed something lifted, you didn't need a forklift. You just needed more Marines. <laughs> and that, that equates to life because life will give you more than you can handle. And instead of trying to do it on your own, you need more people to lift it, that you're not meant to lift at everything that life gives you. And you need people in your life to help share the load with because our psyche for millennia, like I said, we did life in tribes. So those like when I get feedback or another good success story is I did a quick episode on emotions last fall and a Vietnam veteran emailed me. And it was, he was 30 years since he was a dad. I mean, he still is a dad, but it was 30 years since he was raising his kids. Yeah. And he's like, if I would have had this episode 30 years ago, I would have been a better dad. Wow. And it was just about how we need to process our feelings. And I get a lot of those emails where like your episode helped me understand a feeling that I couldn't put my words to. And that's often what the, like the first struggle of coming home is, is just recognizing those feelings and help labeling them. But if we aren't in an environment where we can do that safely, it's very difficult. And podcasting is very safe because it's just in your ear with you and nobody else. And you don't have to be vulnerable in that moment to actually experience that, that uh, moment as well. Knowing that you're, you're helping someone is a great driver to continue to do what you're doing. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. Now, I'm not a father, admittedly. So I've only perused a couple of your, of your episodes. Um, I've hit play here and there, but one thing I've noticed that is that it's not always a father on your, on your, on your podcast. How do you decide your guests? Because you have guests that I wouldn't expect. I've seen veterans, non-veterans, spouses of military fathers, children of military dads. Uh, for you, what makes a good guest? For me, what makes a good guest is one that understands the power of their story. So they've kind of learned to take their mess and make it their message. And hmm. even in my case, I've, I've taken my mess and made it my message of my story of coming home is something that I make my message of how to help other dads come home. And for me, this, the story is, do they have perspective that we need to hear? And as a society, it's really never been more prevalent where we insulate ourselves from other perspectives, not necessarily out of like, we consciously do it. It's just, we don't seek out other perspectives and how to see it. And other dad podcasts that I've listened to, I've always like, for example, military spouses, I've always enjoyed when the spouse comes on and talk about what it's like really inside of a marriage, because you know, oftentimes males are just men are just talking and troubleshooting within men. We don't see it. Yeah. We're, we're just troubleshooting with each other. We actually have no counterpoint. And we're just trying to figure out what women, women really want. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, let's just go to this. Do we ever really know? Do we ever, do we ever really know? <laughs> no. And so when you get the other person coming on and saying what, like from their view, this is how they feel when X happens. Like you can, you can grow exponentially 
in that view. So I often just kind of think like, is this a lesson that a dad needs to know? Mm. And I don't necessarily isolate it to a veteran because there are so many people out there with perspectives and different things that can teach a veteran something about her life and understanding. Like um, probably the oddest one that uh, no one would expect is the Frozen franchise. The Frozen franchise is something that every veteran needs to, to watch both movies because Elsa is the journey of every veteran almost. She really? has a PTSD related to her fear and ice. She has to grow through that fear. She has to learn how love can conquer that fear. She has to learn to step into that fear and create beauty out of it and realize that her entire life was building up to the moment that was always waiting there, but it was born out of the thing that she was afraid of most. And that's essentially every veteran story, that we think what we're scared of is the one thing we need to try to get rid of. But really what scares us the most is stepping into it. And once you step into it, you can really grow and you realize that this is who you are. This is your power. This is your impact in life. And I did a, a Friday solo on that episode of how every veteran has a little Elsa inside them. And like, <laughs> that's not something you would expect a veteran dad podcast to talk about. But I love that movie because it, I, I, when I first figured it out, I almost started crying because I was like, it's so beautiful of how that journey comes forward. And that message is missed by most adults. So I was like, if, even Mary Poppins, I did one where everybody has a little Mr. Banks inside them of sure. kind of stuck and repeat. And Mary Poppins is a good movie, but there's a very good hidden message there that dads need to know. I don't think uh, Elsa is is lost on a lot of Marines. I remember seeing all the Marine videos of Let It Go when it when it came out on social media. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Marines in the barracks, and 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 I specifically did not watch frozen because after seeing all the memes and and seeing all the videos of marines singing let it go in the barracks i was like okay that's all my young marines being goofy i didn't i don't really understand it i'm not gonna watch it uh, but it sounds like you got a deeper meaning out of it a lot deeper meaning <laughs> i didn't get it until the second movie came out like the first movie you get the journey you kind of understand it has a good message but when you realize the ending of the franchise in the second movie it has like it, it kind of cements the idea that Many maybe under or maybe people know about, but they don't really understand how it works. Is that life is happening for you, not to you, and you realize that Elsa's life was happening for her the entire time, and you realize how it was all the journey that she exactly needed to go on to get to the exact moment where she was, and that it all had purpose, and now she gets to step into that purpose and live it with that power. Like that's the ending, and it's very beautiful of how it all transcended. And that's the, that's the life of a veteran because when, when you think of the veterans that have made it and have made it on the other side and have taken their mess and made it the message, it's that journey of recognizing that my mess is my power and owning it is the thing that I need to be able to do. And most people, there was a veteran that reached out to me. I can't actually think of her name, but she sat next to me at military officer conference last year, overheard my conversation and her and her husband were going through a separation at the time and still are kind of on a trial separation. And she introduced a Frozen episode to her husband a few months ago because it's only like maybe five months, five months, five weeks old since I did that episode. And it brought him to tears. Like he, he reached out to me afterwards for a phone call and he's like, I listened to that and I started crying. Wow. Because there's a lot there that most people don't feel. And I think that's what um, Frozen kind of becomes a vehicle to help carry you threw what you need to feel because you realize how Elsa did it. And then you realize, well, I can do that. And um, kind of the part you realize that through the whole journey, and this applies to every veteran, love is what will conquer everything that you're feeling and f fearful of. And 
that's why I love even the, the, the positive part of why it's so important to come home as a dad is because the love, the pureness of the love of your kids and even your wife can be something that really anchors you and allows you to grow from a point of being centered versus always kind of feeling off balance, always kind of feeling on your own defense. Because I can't tell you how many times when I feel scared inside or if I just feel uncertain, like my kids to my kids, every time I walk through the door, I'm their hero. It doesn't matter what kind of day I had. It doesn't matter how I feel on the inside. I am a hero nonetheless. And receiving that love is something that always fuels me up. And that's why a lot of... What's that? Go ahead. Go ahead. That's why what? Our, a lot of our my kids are eight, five and three. So it's like a, a hero's welcome almost every day when I used to come home from work. And so it's just it's always there. And I love just being in that moment. And it's it's, it's that presenceness of it. It's I feel so grounded and reassured that I'm on the right path because what you don't realize is the opportunity to be a father is the opportunity to create generational change in this world that by creating great adults within your kids, you can affect 10x more change in this world than you ever did with your service. And one of the things I talk about often is legacy. And the family of our legacy is really what our primary mission is after we transition. If we can create a strong family legacy, our life will have meaning because our kids will go out into the world with the certainty to know how they fit into it, with the certainty to know how their gifts can help make it better. And never did we need more confident kids entering adulthood with understanding who they are as adults. Absolutely. 100%. That's, that's uh, absolutely. Um, now your kids are young. Have you, have you talked to any, um, parents that have teenagers about that hero's welcome? I don't think it's ever come up yet. I think, uh, honestly, if, my, if it, maybe it's biased for my network, most of the dads also have young kids, um, but I have observed it, I would say, that I think when it, when the kids are older, it changes. So like my oldest, eight years old, she doesn't necessarily give me a hero's welcome. But for her, sure. it's a different type of love and it's a different type of reminding. Because as she grows as a woman, what I am to her is her first love. That every person she finds after she goes out into adulthood, she's going to measure the man that she's dating by the man that I was. Sure. And... And different, it's not no, no longer the hero mode. It's in, does he write, does this person I'm potentially dating and maybe potentially marrying, does he meet the qualities that my father had? And hmm. when you realize the power that you have within your daughter and yourself to really shape the model that she goes out in the world, you, you realize as a dad, you're leaving so much on the table because your son is going to, to go out into the world with a hunger that matches his dad's. And sure. And your daughter is going to go out in the world with the idea that I'm never going to settle for someone less than my dad. And you hear the joke about dad with a shotgun when his daughter brings home the boyfriend for the first time. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of kind of broke that down into a way like the dad with a shotgun is afraid because he knew that growing up, he wasn't the man that he wanted his daughter to marry. And he's afraid who she's going to match. But if you are a dad that set the bar extremely high for how you treat women, how you talk to people, how you show love and affection to your wife... All of those things, you have no, you should have complete confidence in your daughter's ability to choose the right person in their life because you lived that example for her to follow. And you don't realize it, but if you unpack anybody around your life, you can probably see that they went out and married someone very similar to their dad. That's something that very common you see out there. And once you realize that kind of the pattern and you are the example that she set early on, it's so powerful what you have the ability to do and set that example for it and later. Very interesting. 
Very interesting concept. Um, you talk about coming home as a dad. What's that mean? What does that mean for you coming home as a dad? So it's something I've kind of, so it started just as kind of a nice mission statement, it had a nice ring to it. It resonated with me in the beginning and I continue to unpack what that means. And it means something different to everybody else. But I think a lot of what dads feel today is that their life is on a rinse repeat cycle, that there isn't much living that goes on in the average dad today. And they come home physically with their body, but they never come home that mental part because to be mentally home, you're present with your kids, you're interacting with them, you're playing Legos, you're doing things that are fun within the house, outside, riding a bike or going for a walk with your family. So when you come home, to me, that means that you are there gifting the gift of your presence, that you aren't Mm -hmm. home thinking about work and you're not at work thinking about home, that when you come home, you're not just there physically, but you're there to give the, the mental strength that even just your strong masculine presence can bring to a calm. So there's something else that I've kind of unpacked just even recently, not even something I started with in the beginning. But when you step in and understand who you are and you get comfortable with who you are and you're no longer really scared of your own emotions, you can be the strength that kind of calms a lot of storms within the household. And so when you come home, you can be a masculine strength that can help maybe unsettle your wife's emotions from the day or help your daughters feel something they need to feel. You can be there and be present. So for me, coming home is being present mentally and emotionally there. And you can feel what's people around you and you're not running from that because I think Got you. a lot of dads are physically there in the building, but their mind is light no. years from being in that family unit. Yeah. Did you have a, did you have a self-actualization moment when you're like, okay, this is what this is. This is what coming home for me means. I think it was a, it was a giant learning process that every day was a little bit more like this. When I came mm. up with the mission statement, I came up with the idea but I honestly probably didn't fully know what it meant even at the time. And now even a year and a half into the, the, the podcast, I'm just probably now really starting to truly feel what that means for every dad, for them to come home, because this isn't just a military dad problem. It's a entire fatherhood problem that most dads don't recognize their role with that name of being a dad and coming home to that title and owning it and just being present in that title. So it's almost kind of evolved to where it's dads need to be present overall in their kid's life because a lot of our societal issues come from today uh, from a fatherless home. Like there's a statistic that's not a good one, but it's 66% of mass shooters come from fatherless homes. And there's many more statistics of what fatherless homes actually lead to. They produce chaos. Yeah, they produce chaos. You need There's a good story that I just heard about a herd of elephants, oddly enough, in Africa where they had isolated the males and the females and they kept the females and the kids together in one area and the males were apart. And the kids were actually kind of like beating each other up and killing each other. The elephant calves were killing each other. Really? And the psychologist came in and he's like, you need the males in. And all they did was just bring the male elephants back to the actual reserve where the other elephants were. And an order and a certainty came into their life that they didn't, you obviously can't train elephant males to be a, a father in those lives. Yeah. But in that case, they were there and they created the calm. And it was just a beautiful example of what fathers can do when we come home to our family. Interesting. Extremely interesting, man. Um, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I'm not a father yet, but, but, uh, but it's definitely something I, I eventually want to be. So, um, that's why I, I, I second to Marine, it's the best title in the world. Yeah. 
<laughs> Second to Marine. Very well. Because <laughs> Marine is who you are on the inside and dad is something that is kind of like a, uh, a gravy to that life. Yeah. And you were always a Marine, but a father enhances everything that you are as a Marine and allows you to even tap into more of your in, in, innate ability to be more Marine, but then bring that strength of what that title means to everybody else in your life. What's one positive thing that you learned in service that you carry with you today as a father? I think the one thing that I learned in the military service I carry is that oftentimes we focus on the big things and it's really the little things that we often need to pay attention to. It's paying attention to your wife when she's talking to you. It's making sure you pay attention when she gives you a task to do, even though it sounds trivial, it's something very important. And the military, especially in the Marine Corps, this is how we're programmed, that you don't die on the battlefield because you miss the big things. You die because you miss the small things. You miss that little tripwire by the corner of that brick building. And that tripwire is what ends up killing you, not because you didn't pay attention to the big object downrange. It was that little tripwire in front of you. And so that lesson of paying attention to the details, and that's really where a lot of the meat and potatoes of your life can happen and really transform. And I carry that into my life, whether my family, my business, because those little details matter and they can make the difference between something ordinary and extraordinary. Very good. Very good. Um, ben, is there a is there a veteran nonprofit or an individual that you've worked with or you've had an experience with whom you'd like to mention? My favorite nonprofit so far has come into my life and it's Angels of America's Fallen. And so Angels of America's Fallen is an organization that focuses on providing extracurricular activities to the kids, the daughters and sons of people that have lost their life in uniform. Mm. And so whether it be a swim lesson, whether it be a football practice, when they get accept, when they accept someone in their program, no matter what age, if say if it's six, they provide a scholarship from six to 18 to make sure that they always have an extracurricular activity in their life. They always have a male or a role model in their life because whether it be the mother or the father, it was removed. Having that one constant of someone they can look up to some place to go to look forward to can mean so much for a kid to grow up in a world without a mother and a father. And I recently found them at the 2019 MIC and it changed my life. That organization, I was just so moved by the stories of what those kids are able to do and because they've had some type of mentor in their life, because oftentimes if your dad died in war, you're going to be in an overwhelming state because your, your mom maybe never gets a full handle on things and she's always trying to grieve what's going on. But having that anchor point of extracurricular, that coach that comes into your life, whatever it may be, that one thing can be the thing that helps them get to where they need to be in life and make sure that their dad dying doesn't end up completely eroding the family, that the family is still able to grow and triumph even through something horrible. And so Angel of America Fallen has become my favorite nonprofit. Very good. Very good. Um, ben, you know, is there anything else that I've missed that you, or that we haven't covered that you think it's important to share? I think the, the fundamental thing, so we've talked about a lot of different things. We've gone into a lot of different ways or different corners of the conversation. Yeah. But the fundamental truth that I have, like it's proven itself over and over and over that the easiest way to really feel, make you feel more connected to the life around you is just have more conversations. Conversations is the vehicle that can really take you where you feel today to where you want to be tomorrow. Because that conversation can be that one opportunity you need, that one job opportunity, that one friend, maybe you end up thinking that he need, you need him and maybe ends up being that he really needs you. And you share your story and you realize that he has a story that 10x is yours, but you going first gave him permission to go second. Like that conversation, just talking to people has literally transformed my life. And so if you're really stuck on what to do, where to go, 
what to do next or really even how to unpack what you're feeling, just reach out to people. Because like I said in the beginning, the more people you talk to, it's directly proportional to the amount of opportunity you have in your life. And that is so is fundamental of how I've been able to grow my life, grow my podcast and grow the amount of different things that I'm doing. Like I didn't have any viewpoint to the things I do today until I started talking to people. And it was through that conversation that I recognized some of the best parts of myself, but you can't see that because it's a very difficult to see your own value, but other people can see it clearly. And conversation is the best way to reflect that back. So find people to talk to, find ways to create opportunity, but that conversation will change your life. And you're always one conversation away from something amazing. And you're going to miss 100% of those shots you don't take. Getting out of the military, I was missing this camaraderie. It's frustrating when you try and talk to people that don't understand. I still had the anger. I still had the addictions. But we didn't talk about that. Came to a point where it's like, okay, I really need to talk to somebody about this. Family more or less encouraged me, you know, go... Go to the VA. It's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to people because it takes true strength to ask for help. Hear veterans' real stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. I want to thank Ben for his persistence because our schedules did not line up for a while and for taking the time to come on the show. For more information on Ben, you can find it at Military Veteran Dad. All one word, militaryveterandad.com. Our Born the Battle Veteran of the Week was nominated by former guest and current colleague, Henry Huntley. It's pretty deep in the archives, but listen to it if you get a chance. Great guy, and definitely we appreciate the support, Henry. Our Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Army Veteran K. Linda Emerson. Coming by way of Alaska... Emerson has more than 25 years of service in the Army, with experience in policy development, strategic planning, and programming. During her military service, Emerson was assigned to posts in Germany, Texas, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Washington, all right, D.C., Florida, and Iraq. In 2013, Emerson served as the Chief Equal Opportunity Policy Branch to the Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army, for manpower and reserve affairs. Emerson retired from the Army as a lieutenant colonel on January 31st, 2016. Her awards and decorations include the Legion of Merit, the Defense Meritorious Service Medal with Oakleaf Cluster. Additionally, she is an inducted member with the Honorable Order of the St. Barbara and a Molly Pitcher recipient. Emerson currently serves as a volunteer with several charitable organizations. Most recently, she was elected by members of the Army Women's Veteran Association of Northern Virginia to serve as the chapter president. Along the way, Emerson and her husband, Jack, raised five children, two college graduates, and three remain at home, but are finally out of elementary school. Emerson also recently started trying her hand at improv comedy. Kay Linda Emerson, thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. 
And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veteran and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I am reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care. Okay, I'm going to end the podcast there, but that's not going to be the end of the recording, Ben. Um, at, you know, every once in a while, I do what's called the after the show show. And I say that only because I haven't thought of a better title to this part of the podcast. Uh, basically, after the music stops, sometimes a guest has a story that's, you know, pretty, you know, it could be military related, could be life related that, uh, Usually it's a, it's, a, it's a good military story or good just a good story that has nothing to do with the topic that we're talking about. So do you have something that uh, – an experience that maybe you had in, in, in the military or something else that you'd like to share that you think it's, you know, could be humorous? Humorous. Um, I'm all, the worst part about being a Marine is we take life too serious. So it's a whole easy to forget the fun things. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know if you suffer from that, but I often suffer from that. I, I, I mean, I can always remember a couple things that me and my, me and my buddies did in the military or something that happened in the barracks or, or something that, that happened out in town. Um, that was just humorous. Oh, I got one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of an odd thing to do, but it was in, so being a part of engineer company, we could really build and do anything. And there was, I, th- I think it was called like a jingle run that we were doing as a, as a base. And I was on camp Hansen at the time when we were doing this. And we had one of the John Deere gators that was modified for the military. So we took that gator and we built a actual plywood sleigh around that gator. And part of this run, we built this sleigh and we had it as kind of like the, the lead vehicle as part of the run. And I remember it because it was just, you don't ever think about a sleigh coming out of a gator, but we made it, we had it painted. It looked just like the Christmas sleigh actually. And we drove it in front of the run and we were all wearing hats. And it was just kind of a crazy moment where the best part of like the military is once you're, when you're not in that mode of like being a uh, training for war type, you relax in a way and have a lot of goofy things that happen that normally probably wouldn't happen any other way. And it probably makes officers uncomfortable because these are the things that maybe create international incidences, (laughs) but they often start as very innocent ideas. And those, those innocent ideas, this particular one was just creating a sleigh and it did not have an international incident. Thank God out of it. (laughs) But it was just a, a great way of how Marines take it as something that's very normal. We Marine it. And I think that happens in all branches, not just Marines, but we just take something normal. We make something great out of it. And it becomes a core memory of something we remember. And I can still remember very vividly running behind that sleigh and having that be our jingle run. And it just being a very good moment and memory where 
just being part of a group with a common objective and going towards something fun is part of kind of like those, uh, what you remember most about the military, those kind of that piece where you're just kind of brothers in the same fight in the same place. And in Okinawa, it's, it's, it's different because we're all on the same Island. So we also have like a, everybody, the brothers and sisters all have the same idea. We're in it together. And so a lot of the ideas come out of that are just different because we can't go to Vegas on the weekend. Like you could at Pendleton and just kind of not be a Marine for a weekend. You can't not be a Marine in Okinawa. <laughs> you're there pretty much being a Marine for all the time you're stationed on that Island. So your, your mind goes in different ways. So it was a, it was a good camaraderie builder. Yes. It was a very good camaraderie. And everybody got a good kick out of it because nobody expected us to build a sleigh out of a gator. I think it was, if I remember it was a surprise. 